We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently wor worshiping both in, in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook or Instagram for up updates. We have a few announcements today. This Tuesday, from 12 to 5, UU Wausau will be hosting another Red Cross blood drive. Register to donate at redcrossblood.org. A notice for the annual meeting, the 2021 annual congregational meeting will take place on Sunday, December 5th in the sanctuary of the church after the service. All UUA certified members are encouraged to attend to vote on the 2022 budget, elections of members for the Board of Trustees, Endowment Committee, and the Nominating Committee, and the minutes from last year's meeting. As, as of today, as you re remember, I also work on the Stewardship Committee. And as of today, we have had 67 pledges out of about 114 total and have pledged $208,185. That's pretty good, but we have a ways to go. So we are all stewards of this church, and I encourage you to fill out and renew your pledge form. Um, Joyce? Joyce Schneider has a few words. Good morning. Um, we'd like to thank all of you who attended last Sunday's Lunch and Learn about welcoming refugees to Wausau. Based on the interest expressed, we're planning a follow-up meeting to uh, explore and decide if and to what extent we as a church want to commit. Uh, whether we're going to co-sponsor a family or go another direction. If you weren't able to attend, please know that you are welcome to join our follow-up meeting on December 5th. That'll be immediately after the annual meeting. And um, at the Lunch and Learn, um, at Lunch and Learn, a handout from ECDC was presented. We're asking that you fill in just the first column, which is about more about yourself and what you're able to do on each of the pages on part A and B. It's internally reflecting and internally organizing. Then we'll share that work at our meeting and the goal at the end of the meeting is to be able to decide on our readiness to form a co-sponsorship. If uh, you have this or when you get this, if you look at page eight, that's our goal is to be able to make the decision based on this information. If you don't have the ECDC planning worksheet, you can pick one up from the refugee information table in the atrium. Um, I don't have them right now, but I will run some more copies off, so after service you should be able to get one. There's also an RSVP sign-up sheet. If you are planning on coming, we would appreciate your signing up in advance of this so that we can order some pizza so we don't get too hungry while we're doing our work. Um, you'll also find refugee updates on the table and look for a new heading on the church website under refugees and we'll put news in there too. We're going to do our best to keep you informed and updated as things are changing rapidly. For example, um, I just learned that the first 10 refugees from Afghanistan are going to be arriving before Christmas. And I hate to say anything like this is a fact because that's what they're planning. Um, and the, we are going to have 100 refugees in total from Afghanistan by September. So thank you and I hope to see you on the 5th. Through an additional grant, um, the United Way is collaborating with the refugee program and is providing, I think, a whole series of bilingual books, Afghani and English, which is going to be interesting to see. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting.
You will find the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please join us for opening hymn number 301, Touch the Earth, Reach the Sky. Stand as you are. stay standing for our affirmation. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end, that all souls shall grow in harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Now our doxology. for our Time for All Ages, I want to share with you one written by my colleague Beryl Ashenberg. It's called, I adapted it from one called The Marvelous Loaves. Grandpa Ellen was a member of Nottingham Unitarian Universalist Church, and it was pretty clear the congregation loved him. He loved to bake bread, and the congregation loved to eat his baked goods. Not only that, but he could always be counted on volunteering his services for any church event that involved food. So it's no surprise that he was asked to contribute a loaf of bread to the annual bread communion. But Grandpa went one better. He offered to make all the bread for bread communion. They all knew they were in for a very special treat. When Thanksgiving rolled around, the congregation gathered, much like we are this morning, and Grandpa had been baking in the kitchen, and the whole building was filled with that deep, yeasty smell you get when you bake bread. As the service began, the minister, whose name was Brian, but with a Y and not like an I, not to get confused, he talked about the texture and the color and about all the different faith traditions who used bread. 
And finally, it was time for communion, or the sharing of bread. And Reverend Brian waved his hand at the bank back of the sanctuary, and Grandpa brought out one singular beautiful loaf. Danny, a nine-year-old sitting in the front pew, when Grandpa Alan came forward with this that one loaf, they couldn't help, just like children to do, but blurting out, how are you going to feed us with just one loaf of bread? Sure enough, the congregation started looking around and realized there was no more coming. There were over 100 people in that room, and stomachs were rumbling. Grandpa Alan smiled and took out a bread knife and began to slice. And then an amazing thing happened. Before their very eyes, the bread went spring, and one loaf became 20 in just seconds. It's a miracle, someone cried out. Don't be ridiculous, Grandpa replied. It's a sound mathematic principle. Well, it didn't really matter what it was once everyone began eating, because truly it was the most delicious loaf of bread anyone had ever had. What a service. During coffee hour, Grandpa was approached by one member after another, thanking him for his scrumptious offering. But when Barbara, the director of religious education, came forward, Grandpa knew she had an idea. It seemed that the youth group had been volunteering for the local free lunch on Saturdays, and they were constantly running out of food. There were just too many hungry people in town. Alan, she said, can you do that trick with the bread anytime you want? Grandpa Alan said, well, it really isn't a trick, but sure, I can do it again. They made a deal. Grandpa would come join the youth group at this uh, local free lunch, and he would bring one of his marvelous loaves. Saturday came, and they all met up for free lunch. And as you can imagine, his bread was quite a hit. With so many hungry people, the loaves just kept multiplying and multiplying until everyone was full and satisfied. Well, something like that doesn't stay secret for long, and sure enough, Grandpa and his bread were on the 6 o'clock news. Which, unfortunately, was too bad for Grandpa, because on that very night, the town sheriff, yes, the sheriff of Nottingham, any likeness to any other stories, I'm sure, is just a coincidence, was watching the news. And the sheriff was not a nice person. He had been appointed to office by his brother, because a man like that would never be elected. He kicked trash cans, took candy when the store clerks weren't looking, and made cruel jokes. He did not have a nice bone in his body. He hated everyone. And it was always looking for a way to get rich quick. Now with Grandpa Allen's marvelous bread, he figured out a full foolproof plan. Excuse me. He would sell one loaf after another after another, and it would never stop coming. All he would need is that first loaf. So that nasty, hateful sheriff went to Grandpa Allen's house to have himself a little talk with the man. Grandpa listened as the sheriff first offered, and then bargained, and then threatened, trying to get him to sell one of the marvelous loaves. You don't understand, Grandpa said. It just won't work for you. Nothing personal, but there's a mathematic principle at work here. Well, the sheriff was not going to take no for an answer, so he pushed Grandpa out of the way, stomped into the kitchen, and grabbed a loaf of bread that was sitting freshly baked from the oven. Gleefully, he ran out the back door, jumped into his car, and sped all the way home, all the while thinking about how rich he was going to be. Once in his own kitchen, the sheriff set to, work, set to work slicing the bread with a knife. He frantically sawed across, and sure enough, an amazing thing happened. Spring went the bread. But instead of multiplying, the loaf started dividing. It divided more and more into smaller and smaller pieces until there were only crumbs. And then the crumbs divided even further until there was nothing left at all. Grandpa Allen had indeed known the true secret of bread. And indeed, there is a mathematical principle that controlled it all. And it's pretty simple. is that love multiplies and hatred divides. And that is the story of Grandpa Allen's marvelous loaves. Our children are going to remain with us in the sanctuary this morning so we can celebrate bread communion as our whole community. But to bless all of this here and all of those joining us from afar, I invite you to join in singing May Peace Surround You.
The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support. I think we have a speaker from the community agency from today. You want to come and say a few words? Good morning. My name is Kristen Slonsky, and I'm the director of advocacy and legal services at Wisconsin Judicare. Uh, Wisconsin Judicare is based right here in Wausau, just up the street in the First Bank building. But we actually serve the northern 33 counties of Wisconsin, plus all 11 federally recognized Indian tribes in the state. We provide free legal services for civil um, actions. So as most of you probably know, in a criminal, if you're a criminal defendant, you're guaranteed by the Constitution a right to counsel. The same is not true in civil court, which is how most people have their interactions with the justice system. Wisconsin Judicare attempts to fill that gap for low-income people and victims of crime. What we do is we provide free legal services through our attorneys and our volunteers to people who are facing um, eviction or foreclosure of their homes, um, to people who are victims of domestic violence, and to others who are victims of crime. We have a number of special projects that um, we provide services for, but for the most part, our clientele are people who are at or below 200% of the federal poverty level, limit. In addition to the generous donations that you've offered us today, which we're very, very grateful for, we could also use community help in a number of ways. Um, first, if anyone here is an attorney or anyone listening is an attorney, we're always looking for people who are willing to provide pro bono or low bono um, legal aid. <laughs> um, uh, we do contract with a number of private attorneys um, who are willing to work for us and for our clients for a reduced rate. We're also always looking for lay advocates. In tribal court, you often don't have to be um, a licensed attorney as long as you take some training to be a tribal advocate. And we're also looking for lay advocates for our mediation services, which are offered here in Marathon County. You don't need any legal training for that. We provide the training to become a mediator and help people resolve their conflicts in an out-of-court setting. But most importantly, how you can help Wisconsin Judicare is to refer anyone that you know who needs legal assistance. We have a number of grants that don't require anything special in the way of um, like being low income or anything like that. So we encourage people who are looking for legal services to apply. We won't know if you qualify for one of our grant programs until you apply. So if you know anyone who needs help, who's trying to navigate the legal system or who's trying to navigate the public benefits system, please, please, please encourage them to apply. We're online at Wisconsin or at judicare.org. That's J-U-D-I-C-A-R-E.org. We have online applications. We also have an 800 number. And I'll leave some cards with your um, business office before I leave here today. And once again, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about Wisconsin Judicare and for your generous offer of donations this morning. Thank you so much.
invite everyone now to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. I encourage you to prepare your body by putting both feet flat and firm on the ground. If you meditate or pray with your eyes closed, you can close them now. Take a moment and notice your beating heart, your expanding lungs, the gift of these people all around you. And let us journey into silence with this prayer. O life, we pray for wisdom and compassion to let your love flow through us, bringing life and hope to those in pain and need. We worry and so we reach out to help and we regret that there is not enough time to do more. We ache for the pain we see in places where there seems to be no healing. The schoolyard squabbles in our government, the homeless facing lonely days and freezing nights, the tragedy of violence in distant lands and right around the corner. What can we do to help? O God of love and hope, hear now our prayers for those in need and for ourselves. For we are needy too. And we lift them up in the safety of this holy place and in the silence of our hearts. And so now let us call to mind the joys and sorrows in our lives. And let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please remain seated for our prayer hymn, number 352. This morning was written by the late Max Alden Coots, 
Max was minister for about 33 years at the Universalist Church in Canton, New York, and when he retired, he made the creepiest sculpture I have ever seen in my life, but he was an interesting guy. It's one of my favorite things that he wrote. It's entitled, A Harvest of People. And the poet says, Let us give thanks for a bounty of people, for generous friends with smiles as bright as their blossoms, and for feisty friends as tart as apples, for continuous friends who, like scallions and cucumbers, keep reminding us that we have had them, for crotchety friends as sour as rhubarb and as indestructible, for handsome friends who are as gorgeous as eggplants and as elegant as a row of corn, and the others as plain as potatoes and as good for you, for friends as unpretentious as cabbages, as subtle as summer squash, as persistent as parsley, as endless as zucchini, and who, like parsnips, can be counted on to see you through the winter, for old friends nodding like sunflowers in the evening time, for young friends who wind around like tendrils and hold us. We give thanks for friends now gone, like gardens past that have been harvested, but who feed us in their times that we might live. Therein ends the reading.
I'm sure we all have a few Thanksgiving stories. This is one of mine. Probably, if you've been around here long enough, heard a version or maybe parts of it. I look forward to hearing your stories here in just a moment. So when my parents divorced a long time ago, I went to live with my grandma on her farm. Now, things were much different then, at least as far as I can tell. Unlike my daughter, who seems to have had homework almost every day since kindergarten, I don't ever remember having homework as a boy. Now, my grandma's idea of supervision was to assume that God would sort everything out, which means that I ran free and unsupervised every day after school until my grandma used her supersonic voice to call me in for supper, which usually consisted of a deer or a pig that I had killed with my grandpa. On weekends when I wasn't cleaning the barn or trying my hardest to wreck my grandpa's three-wheeler, I would listen to my grandma's stories. Now, you should bear in mind that my grandma never made it to college because stresses in her family kept her from even finishing high school. And so she worked for much of her life as a seamstress in a pants factory. Now, her third husband, the only grandfather that I would ever know, was a retired electrician, and in his retirement, he has taken up a full-time job as a fisherman. The only time I saw my grandpa not on a fishing boat was when he was sitting in his absolutely disgusting, filthy recliner asleep after putting in a hard day's work on the bass boat. Now, he had this uncanny ability to do two things at once, which is to sleep and balance a bowl of popcorn and a bottle of beer on his belly. And he could even sleep like this. Now, my grandmother's stories are now the stuff of legend in my family. My grandma would tell me secretly about all the boys that she had kissed when she was in school, and she would make me swear to her that I wouldn't tell my grandpa. But then every morning when my grandpa would leave to go fishing, she would tell my grandfather that he was the worst kisser she had ever known because she had kissed so many boys. My grandma would tell me that even when you get old and gray, that you're still going to like it when people tell you that you're handsome or that you're pretty. She also told me that if you have to pass gas in a crowded room, you always, always blame it on someone else, Brian, she would say. And she told me that I needed to try harder in school because sewing pants is even worse than watching my grandpa snore in his recliner. Now, my grandma had a secret power, though. When her four daughters and her 13 grandchildren came to her house to eat and celebrate holidays like Thanksgiving, my grandma would transform into the best story and joke teller I have ever known. Now, I wish I could remember more of my grandma's stories because the ones I do, I cannot tell in this church. (laughs) What I can share with you is how wonderful my grandma's food was and how smoky and crowded her kitchen would get with all of us in there. And I remember how much I loved listening to her laugh and yell and joke. And you see, my aunts and us grandkids, we would fight to stay in the kitchen with her. And meanwhile, her sons-in-law and husband, they would all sit out there in the living room watching boring old football, balancing beer and popcorn on their bellies, which I couldn't have cared less about, and I still could care less about. You see, if you hung out long enough in the kitchen, Grandma would let you lick cake batter right off the mixing forks. She'd let you pick chunks right off the turkey, and she'd let you eat all the skin. And when she'd get really crazy after a glass of sherry or two, she'd dump milk out of some baby's bottle, and she would pour her sherry into it and drink it out of the bottle. She let me and my cousins eat the sweet potatoes right out of the pan. And in the background, she'd have a soundtrack of Johnny Cash and Dolly Parton and Ray Charles. By the time my uncles and grandpa came into the kitchen for supper, it was like they had showed up to leftovers. And they never said a thing about it either. They knew that contrary to domestic assumptions, my grandma ran that family. And they knew that contradicting that woman was second only to knocking on the gates of hell. And the time I lived with my grandma, she told me that I was an American Indian. She told me that I was smarter than all my cousins. And she said, Brian, you can be anything in the world you want to be. And she told me that birds can sleep when they fly. 
She told me that somewhere in the world there was someone who looked exactly like me, who lived in some faraway land and spoke another language, and they were rich beyond my wildest dreams. And if I found them and managed to answer their riddle correctly, they'd have to give me everything I asked for. She told me that I breathe tree burps. She told me that she'd live forever if she could, but that she wants a better house and a husband who kisses better. I tell you all of this because my father, a couple of years back, called me on the phone to share with me the results of my genetic testing, you know, these 23andMe things. It turns out I'm not an American Indian at all. I'm 40% Welsh, Irish, 40% Scottish, English, 10% Scandinavian, and the other 10% said God knows what. But as I grew older, I would eventually learn that birds actually do sleep when they fly but only one part of their brain is asleep so that the other can navigate. And unfortunately, I still haven't found the wealthy me somewhere in the world, but I do breathe tree burps. I also learned that my grandmother told my cousin Jonathan that he was the smartest of all the cousins. Jonathan is now a surgeon, and I am a minister. And so you all can decide for yourselves who you think is the smarter between us. And sadly for me, my grandmother didn't live forever. But before she died, she did manage to find a new lover who did tell her how beautiful she was and how funny and smart she was and how nice her outfits were. Many of my memories of her are in the kitchen or the garden, kneading bread or cooking or walking through cornrows and grapevines. And I accept that that might come across as domestic, But she was a powerhouse with a freedom all her own, and I know that she would give anyone an earful who tried to tell her that she wasn't exactly who she wanted to be. My grandma's kitchen was where she held court, the stage upon which she performed sacred rituals. It's where I heard stories that to this day continue to keep my family together. And so over the years, through illness and difficulty, what holds us together are the meals we share, the tales we tell, and the stories we make. And there isn't a holiday that goes by that someone hasn't made one of my grandma's recipes or tried to their best to tell one of her profanity-laden stories about bad bosses or old lovers or pranks so mean it's a wonder she didn't serve a stint in jail. We tell stories about meals and the food we eat because there's a part of our lives and our families' lives that depend on it. Families aren't just given at birth. They're like a meal. You have to wake up, and you have to make it. And eating, like living, can be done mindlessly, done with the same attitude we often give housework or crummy jobs. But there is a difference between eating out of necessity and truly enjoying a meal. A meal isn't so much what you're eating, it's how you're eating. And it's this fact that places food at the heart of so many religions. In Hinduism, practitioners place food at the feet of gods to show their devotion. And Jews the world over have feasted each Passover for centuries, celebrating the Israelites' exodus from slavery in Egypt. And on the day of Jesus' death, his friends gathered at a table for one last supper. And their act symbolizes the power of love and grace. And what do we eat on Passover and at the Last Supper? We eat bread. We eat bread because holy things happen when bread is broken. And throughout our lives, we'll notice that bread takes on many forms. The bread can be the Thanksgiving turkey. It can be a bowl of popcorn you share with a lover at a movie. It can be bread and wine at church. And so this morning we offer to this congregation bread made in the warmth of our homes, in the kitchens of this church, the place where we try every day to perform a little magic and make a family. Here this offering becomes the bread of a communion we all share, a communion of hope and memory, a communion of grace and love. And so I want to invite all of you here now to come forward and approach this microphone down here 
and share in this communion. We'll have a meal together out in the atrium after service, but for now, please come forward and tell us your story. Tell us about the food that feeds your soul. Please. Hi, my name is Donna Coyke, and Christopher Young, my husband and I, will be joining this communion congregation soon, today. Um, the bread that we have brought is not something we made. It is a cinnamon babka, and it was a gift of thanksgiving to us from our dear friends Howard Hyde and Enrique Adoué in New York City. Howard and his partner Kiko have been part of our tribe for as long as I can remember. And we have been together through joy and pain. And we thought it was only fitting that as we come together with this community, we bring something from another part of our tribe. So thank you. I brought the bread that I've brought before. It's from my paternal grandmother who made it every Christmas and every Easter. It's a Bohemian hoska, which is a sweet dough bread, sort of like a brioche, but with golden raisins and slivered almonds in it. And she would make it while I was a little girl sitting behind the wood stove, staying warm with my dolls. And then, of course, growing up, and we had it, I had it for every year that I lived at home. Hi, my name is Jim Young, and Joyce and I have brought sticky rice because in much of the world, um, rice is the, the staple. And we've brought it in honor of my three Hmong daughters. The youth group got together yesterday, and there are several trays of muffins outside that they made upstairs in the kitchen. You can still go up there. It smells delicious. Um, I won't share their stories because that wouldn't be appropriate, but thank you also to the youth group leaders who helped corral that and uh, clean up afterwards. The flower was beautiful, but epic. Just before we came this morning, I reached in the freezer and pulled out a loaf of skedrakakar, which is the Swedish flatbread that we eat Christmas Eve. And as I was thinking about it, for me, it's so symbolic of transcendence because this tradition is one that takes me back to my mother's childhood. My mother taught us how to make that Swedish bread, and carries forward to the present when on Christmas Eve we share that bread with our dear friends Russ and Carrie Wilson, and hopefully we'll carry into the future when one of our children learns how to make it. So I brought a couple pieces of a sweet roll that I have to say is fresher than the skettercocker that Randy brought, but we won't go into that. Because <laughs> he does keep things in the freezer a long time. But it just makes me think about, my grandma always said, you have, I have a sweet tooth, which is true. It's been true all my life. And I look forward to Randy coming back from the farmer's market with a diverse, a lot of different sweets. My favorite's macaroons, but I, I just look forward to having some of that. And it also makes me think of my mom, who was not really a baker, but I'll never forget coming home from school, and she would have bought, every lot of stuff was store-bought. Every Friday afternoon, we would have these um, rolls that had this cream inside and powdered sugar on top. So that was delightful. I'll never forget it. Let us bless the bread and cider that we brought this morning. The blessing is included in your order of service, and if we could all join in reading it together. We bless these loaves. We bless this bread and this grain that we have in common with one another and with all humankind. We bless the cider. We bless the fruit for its sweetness. May it be so in our shared human life. 
We bless the people, places, and circumstances of our lives that have nourished and sustained us. We bless these loaves and cider. Please rise as you are able now for our closing hymn, number 407. We're going to sit at the welcome table. came here with someone, you're welcome to take their hand now. If you're alone, reach out with your hearts. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. You're welcome to have a seat, relax and enjoy the postlude, and we'll enjoy our bread communion in just a moment. <laughs>